I invite you to turn with me in the Heidelberg Catechism, in the back of the Book of Praise, to Lord's Day 38, page 554. 554, we arrive at the fourth commandment, and this morning we read the version of the fourth commandment as it appears in Exodus 20, and you might be aware that the fourth commandment in Deuteronomy 5 is a bit different. It gives a different reason for honoring the Sabbath day, and I want to just capture the additional reason provided in Deuteronomy 5. So Exodus 20, it's after the example of the Lord. He created the world in six days, and then He rested on the seventh. That's Exodus 20. But in Deuteronomy 5, we have this. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor undo all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Here's the difference. You shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So when you put Exodus 20 together with Deuteronomy 5, you see two reasons to keep the Sabbath. One, to celebrate creation, and the other to celebrate re-creation or redemption, as we more regularly call it. That's the fourth commandment. Now to the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 38, what does God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained, and that especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God to hear God's word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that all the days of my life I rest from my evil works. Let the Lord work in me through His Holy Spirit and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. That's Lord's Day 38. In response to the preaching of the gospel, we'll sing again from Psalm 84. And all those references to going to Zion, going to Jerusalem, you understand that in Zion, in Jerusalem was the temple. That's where God dwelt. That's where people went to gather for worship. And so Jerusalem, Mount Zion, all of that is symbolic of what we just simply call the church today. So we are Mount Zion. We are Jerusalem today. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever wondered why the fourth commandment is the fourth? We know that God never does anything haphazard or at random. He is a God of peace. He's a God of order. He's a planning God. 
We know that he took counsel within himself, within the persons of the Trinity, before creation already to, to map out for all of history a plan of how things would go, how things would unfold, the salvation he would bring. And his plan is detailed down to the finest, the smallest thing you can think of. So it follows that the order of the Ten Commandments is also deliberate. We do not hear about this Sabbath command until we've first heard the first three commandments of the law. Why would that be? Well, it's because by the time we've understood one, two, and three, by the time we've embraced them and inclined our hearts to obey first, second, and third commandments, we will then be eagerly ready for and anticipating the fourth. It's worthy just to think about that for just a few moments. I mean, I think sometimes we, we tend to think about the Sabbath day in isolation, just by itself. We can sometimes wonder if we have to go to church every single Sunday and if we have to go twice. Questions can sometimes be raised. Isn't once enough? Where does it say we have to go twice in the Bible? Is it necessary that we give up our time so frequently every single week, so persistently? What if we just went to church once per month? Wouldn't that be okay? Or could we perhaps worship God in ways other than gathering together as church? When you think of the Sabbath command just on its own and how it seems to cut into our schedule and our plans, it can raise all kinds of questions about the value and the necessity of keeping the Sabbath day holy. But then it's important to recall it's the fourth commandment, not the first. The first commandment, you recall, is all about whom we are to worship, the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and no other. I don't worship other people. I don't worship other ideas. I do not worship myself. I worship the Lord God. I give Him the devotion of my heart and Him alone. And when I go to worship this one true God, I worship Him how He wants to be worshipped. That's the second commandment. So I don't invent methods to give glory to God. I use the methods that God assigns. Since I love this one true God, I love to serve Him according to His wishes, His commands. So I'm always asking, explain to me, please... From God's Word, the Scriptures, how He wants me to worship Him. I want to do what He wants. And when I worship Him, I will do that sincerely, with a humble heart, with an attitude of gratitude. That's the third commandment. No going through the motions for me. I love this God. First commandment. No bare-bones rituals, but let me understand how this God whom I love wants me to worship Him, and then let me put all of my concentration into it. Let me put all of my understanding into it. Let me put all of my emotion into it, all of my being even, 
so that I worship him as he wants to his pleasure. And I'm going to do that right across the board in my life, from my personal moments to family time to work to recreation and to the gathering of the church. I'm ready to give my all for my God because I love him. He's got the devotion of my heart. Now, when that is the framework of your mind, as governed by the first three commandments, then you will only welcome with joyful heart, a joyful heart that fourth commandment, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy to the Lord. Already my whole life is committed to serving God according to His wishes. It's the thrill of my soul to obey my God, to serve Him in His kingdom for His glory. Did you say that He wants me to set aside one full day out of seven, every seventh day, to specially honor Him, to, to keep one entire day for the glory of my God? And He wants me to gather with His church to do so? I'm there. I am totally there. What a great idea. What a wonderful blessing. Where better can I worship the one true God whom I love? Where better can I put into practice the commands He lays out in Scripture on how to worship Him? Where better to pour out my sincere confession of sin and seek from Him the grace of forgiveness that He promises? Where better can I offer thanks and praise for the salvation He gives than here in the assembly where God gathers me together with His people? How better can it be done? Of course I'm going to be there on Sunday, on the Sabbath. It's as we sang from Psalm 122, my heart exalted. It was filled with gladness when I heard eager voices call, come, let's go now one and all to Zion, to the house of God. Of course I'm going to be there. You see, it's all about perspective. How you look at that fourth commandment, how you, the starting point. If you've already embraced the first three commandments and those are laid upon your heart and you've, you want to do those things, then you'll embrace the Sabbath day as a brilliant gift of grace that embellishes and enhances your heartfelt desire to bring praise and honor and glory to the God in heaven whom you love with all your heart. You don't squirm beneath the Sabbath commands trying to wriggle out every which way from underneath him, but you, you step into the Sabbath day eagerly and you say, hey, how best can I use this day, this beautiful gift to glorify my Father in heaven? Work with me. How best can we do that so that he's pleased? That is the mindset to approach the Sabbath with. This is indeed the very approach shown by our Savior Jesus Christ, an approach we are called to follow. And so I proclaim to you this gospel message, follow Jesus, follow Jesus in keeping the Sabbath holy. We'll take a look at Sabbath decay and then Sabbath delight. Well, from the wording of that fourth commandment to do our we, are, we know that we are forbidden to do our regular work 
on this day. Or to say it positively, we are commanded to rest from our daily labors. But what does this resting look like? It's not spelled out exactly in the seventh commandment. Is it just that we, we, we lay around all day or sit back in an easy chair? Is it doing nothing? Is it a day of boredom? Well, as many of the Ten Commandments have, the, the positive side of the, the command is usually implied. We have to kind of work that out from other parts of Scripture. Like, for example, when the Lord commands us, we saw that last time, not to take the Lord's name in vain, then we know at the same time He's us, commanding us to use His name with reverence and respect. Similarly, when He commands us not to kill our neighbor, then we know that, in fact, He charges us to care for our neighbor, to show love for our neighbor. And it's the same with the fourth commandment. When He commands us to rest from our daily work, then we know that we are to use the time available to spend it with our God. Even more than that, we are to use this day of rest from our labors to come together with God's people to worship Him as church, just as we're doing now. That becomes clear, for example, from a passage like Leviticus 23. Let me quote, Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. What's that? A holy convocation convocation. Well, it's literally a calling together of the people, God's people. So, God calls together His people to assemble in a, a holy gathering in order to worship Him. Now, people were allowed to go to the tabernacle any day of the week or to the temple later on. They could go any time to pray or to otherwise worship on a personal level. But every Sabbath, they were called to come. They would assemble. They would be taught by the priests and the Levites about the Lord and His salvation. And the faithful, they, they, they loved to gather there. They loved to come. That's, we sang some of that from Psalm 122. We sang it from Psalm 84, O Lord of hosts, Almighty King, the praises of your house I sing. How lovely is your habitation, your holy courts I yearn to see. Faint with desire I long to be where pilgrims join in celebration. My heart and flesh with joyful shout to you, the living God, cry out. The pilgrim of Psalm 84 couldn't wait to get to church. He has a joyful shout in his heart and flesh. Brothers and sisters, is your heart and flesh shouting joyfully to come to church? We need to think about that for ourselves, some self-reflection. For not all of God's people found their joy in communal worship on the Sabbath. The history of the church in Scripture shows that the tendency was to let the Sabbath day fall into decay. Now, we read one example of that in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13. As I mentioned, Nehemiah lived at some time uh, after the return from exile to Babylon. So, you recall that Israel had been... Um, 
disobedient to God for hundreds of years, and they didn't listen to His prophets calling them to repent, and so God sent them into captivity to Babylon, and they stayed there for 70 years. And then the Lord brought them back. That was about 90 years prior to the book of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah appears on the scene. He's a, he comes with the third wave of exiles. The first wave of exiles, and you remember we heard some, some preaching on that last summer out of the book of Haggai. The first wave of exiles, they started to, to build up the temple again, and there was a stopping and a starting of that. So this generation and the generations after the exile, you would think that after the catastrophe they had gone through in Babylon, right, that captivity which had been caused by their, their centuries-long hardening of heart toward God, and after the gracious hand of the Lord had been upon them to bring them back to Jerusalem, a portion of them, enabling them to rebuild the temple, you would think that these church people of all generations would be the most diligent in worshiping the Lord, right? You would think they would be so filled with a love for God, first commandment, a determination to worship God only according to His Word, second commandment, and a deep desire and sincerity to only honor their covenant God, third commandment, that they would then be thrilled to be in the temple on the Sabbath day worshiping the Lord, right? I mean, if you had to guess, that's what you would guess. Surely, these people, this generation, after all they've been through, would be the most zealous to hear God speak to them out of His Word, to stand and sing His praises with the Levites in the temple. Yet that's not what happens. Nehemiah, who was in Susa, capital of Persia, waiting upon the king, he has to ask the king of Persia to send him to Jerusalem so that he can take charge and motivate the people to actually do what they should have been doing, building up the walls of Jerusalem. And all through the book of Nehemiah, he meets with challenges and he meets with complacency among the Israelites. He meets with self-centeredness and he meets with laziness. He meets with the people we read in chapter 13 who were using God's Sabbath day for their own pleasure. Listen to this from verse 15. In those days, says Nehemiah, I saw men in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath, bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys, together with the wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. A little bit later, he says, they were selling this stuff on the Sabbath in Jerusalem with an exclamation mark in the text. The men of Judah, these are David's, this is David's tribe, the king's tribe, the, the men of Judah, they weren't singing the Psalms of David in the temple. They were not focusing on honoring the Lord their Savior. They were trying to make a buck on the Sabbath. They were trying to build up their fortunes on the Sabbath. It was a day to serve themselves. It's a question we need to ask ourselves, who are you serving on the day of rest? 
brothers and sisters. This, is, this isn't a small matter, for Nehemiah rebukes them very sharply. He says, what is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath? We think wicked things are like homosexuality, and it is wicked, and adultery, and that is wicked, and idolatry, and that's wicked. But did you know that desecrating the Sabbath is equally wicked? And why was what they were doing so wicked? Was making wine a wicked thing to do? Was selling your goods a sin? No. But that they did this on the Sabbath was forbidden, and more than that, it revealed what was in their hearts. They had ignored the first three commandments. It made very plain that they had not embraced God as the devotion of their hearts. Yahweh was not really the God they served. They were serving the God of money. They were serving themselves through the God of money. Therefore, they weren't all that interested in the Lord's commandments to them, they might just make a show of it, drop by the temple at some point, offer a few sacrifices at a more convenient time. But the Sabbath day, that is prime time for selling. I won't be in the temple on the Sabbath. And they had no sense of awe, no sense of reverence for the Lord their God and His ways. You see, brothers and sisters, what you do on the day of rest and how you go about doing it reveal something deep. It reveals what's going on in your heart. If I love the Lord my God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength, all of my mind, where will I be on Sunday? I will be in church. I'll be there with bells on, singing, and praying and listening with my whole being. I want to be there. I don't need to be told. I don't need to be convinced. I'm going to live that Psalm 84 life. I'll personify the desire of Psalm 122. But on the other hand, if in truth I actually love myself first and have only kind of a tepid, mild interest in God, well, then it gets harder and harder, doesn't it, to bother to come to church. Why bother? Sermons become a time to daydream. Singing is a bore. Praying puts me to sleep. Brothers and sisters, wake up. Wake up to the reality of what's living in your own heart. Analyze that right now, today. Do you need to repent from an ungodly, wicked attitude in your own heart? The way to get excited about Sunday is to get excited about the God we worship on Sunday. So turn your heart totally to Him. Then Sunday will be a transformed day for you. So the decay of the Sabbath in Nehemiah's time was one way of decay, but there's another way to profane the Sabbath. That's something the Pharisees were showing in Jesus' time. Maybe you want to turn with me to Mark 2 to have a look at that. In some ways, they were the opposite of the Israelites in Nehemiah's time. They never missed the Sabbath. 
They were not out selling their goods at the gate of Jerusalem, oh no. They attended every holy convocation. In fact, the Pharisees realized that it was on account of Israel's disobedience, their law-breaking, that God had sent them into exile. The Pharisees had that writ large on their minds. They knew all about that, and so they were zealous for the law. That's why they were so on the details of the law. Every jot, every tittle had to be kept scrupulously because they did not want God to punish them again like He had done at the time of the exile. In fact, to prevent God from punishing them, the Pharisees thought it best and wise to add a great deal many more precise laws all across the commandments, but including the fourth commandment, to spell out exactly what could be done and what couldn't be done so that Israel would not violate the law. For example, a couple of examples from the Pharisees' laws on the Sabbath, you could not carry both a needle and a thread on your person because that would be, could be the beginning of work, right? You could only carry so much weight on your person equal to so many grains of barley, otherwise you'd be accused of carrying a load, a burden. So the Pharisees, they were dialed in to the letter of the law like you wouldn't believe. They were so focused on the minutiae of the letter, and they added their own letter to God's letter. And in the meantime, they ignored something. They ignored the law's intent, its purpose. We see that playing out in Mark 2. Jesus' disciples were hungry. As they walked through a grain field on the Sabbath day, they picked some heads of grain, they rubbed them in their hands, and they ate the seeds. Now, you can look through the laws of Moses. There is zero in the laws of Moses that spoke against this practice. But the Pharisees, in their wisdom, said that this kind of activity was the first step in the work of harvesting, and so they forbade it. So for the Pharisees, they would rather see these disciples go hungry for a whole day than see them violate their man-made laws. What does that reveal about the heart of the Pharisees? They loved the words of the law, the technical words of the law. They loved the many regulations they added to God's law. But did they love the Lord of the law? Would the Lord, the covenant God of Israel, ever wish to see His people go hungry when food was readily available? Is that how God rolls with His people? Were the Pharisees concerned really to honor God, or were they concerned to honor the written code as they interpreted it? It's something we should ask ourselves, too. Our hearts are no different than the men of Nehemiah's day or the Pharisees of Jesus' day, and there's a ditch on either side of this road we can fall into. The one group ignored the fourth commandment and went and sold their goods. The other group smothered the fourth commandment with their legalities. But both groups were using the day of rest for their own satisfaction and not for God's satisfaction. Neither group stopped to ask, what does the Lord really want from this day? 
That's the bottom line concern also here in Mark 2. Neither group loved the Lord. Neither group sought to honor His name and uh, and abide by His commands. Have I fallen into that with the house rules I've made for my family? Have you? House rules are necessary. But what is my motivation in having these house rules for Sunday? Am I trying to protect my family from breaking God's law, or am I trying to help my family understand and keep God's law out of love for God? Am I promoting God's intention with the Sabbath day, or just rules that make me feel comfortable because it's the way I grew up? As a father, as a mother, are we leading our children by example in how we observe and embrace the Sabbath day? Do my family members see in me a delight for the day of rest? For that is absolutely what we see in our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about His life. When Jesus was 12 years old, where where was He to be found? He was found by His parents in the temple. He was in the temple, and he He would have stayed there if they'd let Him. Day and night in the temple, because that was His Father's house. He could worship Him there day and night. He really lived the psalm. He had the desire of the Psalm 84 psalmist. Twice we read as an adult in his ministry that he chased out money changers and and cattle and all kinds of animals from the temple courts because he insisted that the temple was to be a house of prayer and not a marketplace and not a den of robbers. Jesus had great zeal for God's house, for the gathering of his people, for the worship of God's name. He had zeal for the assembling of the people on the Sabbath day for worship. For Luke tells us in chapter 4 of his gospel that it was the custom of Jesus to go to the synagogue Sabbath by Sabbath. That's what he did in obedience to the fourth commandment. Jesus would gather with the people every Sabbath. I want to just pause over that for a moment. Like Israel of old and like the church through the centuries up until this very day, Jesus would join with his fellow worshipers every Sabbath day. That's a key feature of the day of rest. We have that spelled out in our catechism, Lord's Day 38. Especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God. And then come the things we do when we attend. To hear God's word to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, to give Christian offerings for the poor. You have to assemble. You have to come in person to do those things the way that God intends them to be done. For, the, for parts of the last two years, there have been times where we have been prevented, prevented against our desires from gathering in person. And that's been a source of grief for many of us. 
the technology during the lockdown periods allowed us something to be sure. And that technology is a blessing that we can hear and see the Word of God being preached live while such in-person gathering was prohibited. And yet, brothers and sisters, we all realize that is not the same, but what happens on the camera. It was a pale substitute, wasn't it? As we move forward, brothers and sisters, I want to say this to you. On the basis of the fourth commandment, let's make sure that the technological thing that we have in online worship does not become a comfortable option to choose when we like. The call of the fourth commandment is to be here in person on the Lord's Day Every Lord's Day, again, when the call is there, morning and afternoon, a congregation, think of the word, it's a biblical word, a congregation congregates. The assembly of God's people must assemble. And if our joy is in loving and obeying God, then we will be here unless we are absolutely unable to come for health reasons or other serious matters. And when we can't be here, that will grieve us, and we will work to be here just as soon as we can. In-person worship. That's part of the Sabbath command. Jesus knew the blessing of the day of rest, and he taught the blessing to his disciples. The Pharisees, they had turned it into a drudgery and a burden, but Jesus pointed out that the very commandment has an underlying purpose, an underlying intention, and we have to honor that. Obeying the commands of God means to honor God's intention. That's why Jesus selects in his response to the Pharisees, he selects the example of what David did in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, when he received from Abiathar the holy bread of the presence. You, you know about that bread, right? It was to be baked every Sabbath day, fresh, and placed in the holy place, 12 loaves, fairly large loaves of bread. It was called the bread of the presence. Only the priests were to eat it, but David asks after it, and he is given it by the priest, and he and his companions were not condemned by God. Why? It was against the law, God's law this time, not the Pharisees' law. Well, because the very purpose of those 12 loaves of bread was to testify that God would provide bread for the 12 tribes of Israel. He would be the feeder of His people. He would give them their needs week to week, Sabbath to Sabbath. Israel would not go hungry because God would provide. That was the symbolic value of that bread in the holy place. So when David, who was the very man that God had anointed to be the next king over Israel, when David is now hunted by enemies and forced to flee, and is in need of, of food, isn't giving to this David the very symbolic bread exactly the right thing to do? 
feeding this king in waiting, as well as his companions, exactly fulfills the meaning of the bread of the presence, the intention of the bread of the presence. How much more than Pharisees when my disciples pick a few heads of grain from the field and eat them on the Sabbath day. You don't get it, Pharisees. Look deeper into what's going on in the law of the Lord. The law of God is instruction for, a, for living a good life close to God. It's not a ball and chain. It's not an enslavement. God's laws, yes, they've got many do's and many don'ts, but the purpose of the law is to guide us in the way of life, of peace, of joy, of blessing. Jesus also emphasizes that when He declares with His royal authority, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And now think of what we learned this morning about that expression, Son of Man. Then Jesus says this, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus, the Son of Man, is articulating with all kinds of authority the truth that the Sabbath, like all of God's laws, it's a gift. It's a gracious gift from God for the benefit of mankind. If you understand it properly and receive it in faith with a heart that loves the Lord, the Sabbath day will be the highlight of the week. It certainly was a highlight for one particular fellow on that Sabbath day in Mark 2 and 3. Mark tells us in chapter 3 that a little bit later that day, Jesus entered into a synagogue where a man was present who had a withered hand. And the Pharisees were watching, Mark tells us, and you should pay attention to what they're watching for in verse 2, Mark 3 verse 2. They watched Jesus to see whether He would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse Him. Do you see where their heart is at? All they care about are the rules. Their own man-made rules, because there's no rule anywhere in the laws of Moses against healing on the Sabbath. And they care whether this upstart teacher would violate their pharisaical rules. In front of them stood a man, a fellow Jew, whose hand didn't work properly. It was, it was withered somehow. Had some defect in his hand. And the Pharisees, by the way, they knew that Jesus had the power to heal that man. They were on the lookout for it. Do they approach Jesus and ask Him, Lord, could you come and heal one of the brothers here in the synagogue? Even if they were concerned that healing on the Sabbath was improper, they could have asked Jesus to come back the next day to heal him. But there is none of that. Those, that thought doesn't even enter their mind. They don't care about this man with the withered hand. All they want to do is trap Jesus in one of their pathetic Sabbath regulations. That's all they want to do. You talk about a decay of the Sabbath. 
Now the Lord of the Sabbath will not abide that decay. He is determined to make this day what it ought to be, a day of rejoicing, a day of freedom, a day of delight. So he takes charge of the situation. He calls the man forward. Might have been embarrassing maybe to that man, but there was a bigger point to be made. He calls that man forward in the front of the synagogue, and then he turns to the Pharisees and he challenges them. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Tell me, leaders of God's people, is it lawful to do good or to do harm? And their silence. They give him no answer. Like we saw with the situation of John the Baptist, it's just crickets because the question does not fit their paradigm. They're not thinking about good and evil. They're thinking about little regulations and breaking them or not breaking them. They're not worried about principles. They're not worried about intention of the law. They're all about legalities. And then Mark tells us, about, tells us this about our Savior, which says volumes, verse 5. Jesus looked around them at them in anger. And deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. You know, Jesus, he got angry only a handful of times in the, in the Gospels. But this is one of them. Their perversion of the Sabbath, it angered him to his core. He was deeply distressed at how the Pharisees had so abused his good law and so kept the people under chain that he, but then he, he acted to break their spell. He lifted their rotten decay, and in one instant, he restored both the man's hand and the Sabbath day to what it had always been about a day of restoration, a day for the body and soul to rejoice in God's work. A day to remember with gladness how God created us. Remember Exodus 20? And a day to celebrate with joy how God has recreated us. Pulled us out of slavery to eat in Egypt. Pulled us out of slavery from sin. Creation and redemption are the twin themes of our song every Sabbath day again. And the temple erupts with joy, except the Pharisees who go off and plot to murder the Jesus who restored the Sabbath. You see, they're all about the regulations. And even they, they don't keep because they go to violate the sixth commandment, don't they? So, brothers and sisters, follow your Savior, Jesus. Follow Him in loving the day of rest for what it is, a day to fellowship with your God in the company of God's people. Jesus died and rose again to give us the Lord's day, Sunday now. Some other time we'll have to go through that transition. But He gave us the Lord's day as a foretaste of the eternal Sabbath. Why would you not want to embrace that day. 
Follow him in keeping the day holy to God. It's a good day, a gospel day, a day of celebration and restoration and rejuvenation as we give our hearts entirely to the Lord. Amen.